Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Partly Political Broadcast, episode 67. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and like Foreign Secretary, most well known for his role as Sad Sack in the Raggy Dolls children's show, Boris Johnson, I too believe public sector pay rises could be achieved in a responsible way. By responsible way, I mean the government taking some responsibility for the public sector and just raising pay rather than being total dicks about it. Yes, last week the Conservative government and their new buddies, the DUP, voted against a Labour proposed amendment to the Queen's speech on lifting the public sector pay cap. While people do often joke that the government are out of touch, I had no idea that they weren't even aware what year it is. Deciding against giving a decent wage to emergency workers in 2017 is like the officials of the city Atlantis deciding as it plummeted into the seas, actually, I think we're okay for lifeguards, ATM TBH. While it's not unusual for a governing party to vote against an amendment for the Queen's speech, the cheer given by MPs as it was rejected was not just rubbing salt in the wound, but then insisting a nurse sees to it while still waving her poultry pay packet in her face. There have been growing calls since the vote to scrap the cap, even coming from Boris Johnson, in a move that I like to call, why didn't you just vote for the amendment a few days ago, you massive pile of uncooked dough with hair? Meanwhile, the Queen is getting a 2.8 million increase in her pay for the next year, which sounds pretty sweet for her considering she doesn't even have to read whatever balls is handed to her in a speech next year. But actually, imagine having to receive that many pictures of your own face with you looking younger. Yeah, sounds pretty harsh now, doesn't it? Labour MP Chukrumana's amendment to ensure the UK stays in the EU single market was also rejected, because if a snap election going wrong can't derail shitty Brexit plans, how exactly would that? Still, a few Labour MPs voted for it, as they represented strongly Remain constituencies, and they were made to resign or be sacked from the front bench, prompting some to accuse Corbyn of being a hard Brexit-loving dictator, while others said that Amuna was a traitor for pushing the amendment anyway, knowing it would fail. Ultimately, the only real loser is nuance. Oh, and Labour, again. Secretary of State Damien Green has said that the Conservatives need to change hard to win over young voters. I'm not sure how trying to put your trousers on the wrong way round while in the dark will help that. Meanwhile, Michael Gove jumps straight into action, wooing possible young voters with his defence of why tuition fees are needed. According to Evil Penfold, it's because it's unfair for people who don't attend university to pay towards support for those who do. Similarly, I don't benefit from anything Michael Gove ever does ever, so I'd really, really like my taxes to stop contributing towards him constantly acting like a pulsating flesh wound. Lastly, it looks like Donald Trump may try and visit the UK with as little notice as possible in order to avoid protests. Though, judging by his current capacity for keeping secrets, there's every chance he'll tweet, stupid UK has no idea I'm visiting in three days what losers, making sure he's greeted with appropriate ire. Sean Spicer has ruled out Trump visiting within the next two weeks, but judging by things Sean Spicer says, that could mean that Donald Trump is already here. All this came just a day after the President of America and only recorded Blobfish on land tweeted a video of his World Wrestling Entertainment appearance with the CNN logo superimposed over the head of his opponent, with the hashtag FraudNewsCNN. If Trump thinks CNN is fake news and he threatens it with staged wrestling footage, that's kind of like trying to scare the imaginary monster under your bed away by telling it fake moon landing theories. Still, maybe we can deter him from visiting the UK by sending him a video of that man in Newcastle punching a horse in 2013 with Trump's face superimposed over the horse's arse. Hello you. 
It has been, and I'm going to say this very quietly in case someone hears me and ruins it, it has almost been a quiet news week. I know! I know! I'm sure that by the time you've heard this, something really awful will have happened to ruin it. You know, like Trump visiting the UK under cover of dark and becoming sewn into a human centipede, with Boris Johnson as the other half of a two-headed mop beast, and it stumbles around the capital trying to grab at people's privates, you know, or something horrific like that. But until then, treat this week's show as a temporary breather. You know, with all the air pollution we have, try and enjoy it as much as you can. But there is, of course, still content on the show this week. And before I get to that, uh, firstly, a very big thank you to Joe Avison for donating to the Patreon. And also, importantly, for querying my blurted out cost of fitting sprinkler systems on the last episode. Uh, I said it, the cost for sprinkler systems to all tower blocks was £1.3 billion. Um, And I'll be honest, I usually fact check everything, but I didn't fact check that properly. Uh, I gathered it from some very unreliable sources, I'll be honest. Um, And it actually seems like, thanks to a BBC reality check page, it's more like about £4 billion for sprinkler systems to be fitted in all the tower blocks, depending on how many blocks already had them and where the councils buy the sprinklers from. Lots and lots of boring detail. Judging by the past year, to be fair, um, the Conservatives might just want to install a ton of Panda Pop bottles that you have to manually fill up with water and squish a bit if fire happens, so it could end up being much cheaper than £1.3 billion. Um, anyway, apologies for that incorrect sum, uh, and I do appreciate being called out on it, genuinely. Uh, so if you would like to donate to the Patreon, uh, you can do that too at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro, or for a one-off donation, head to Kofi ko fi.com forward slash parpolbro, and trust me, I'll accept almost any fact-correcting or criticism if accompanied by sponsorship. I'm hoping that somewhere a Conservative MP is uh, listening to this and writing to me complaining about the amount of times I've said something horrible about them while signing off on a £1 billion deal. I'd still say horrible things about them, obviously, but I'd just do it on a much, much better microphone. Uh, live gigs news things uh, if you're one of the people who listens to this uh, on the day it comes out then tonight I'm at the Black Box Theatre in Belfast with Beck Hill and we're both at Mason's Comedy Club on Thursday in Derry 2 and those are both Edinburgh previews and no my show still doesn't have an ending but it might do by Thursday so you know fingers crossed uh, big emphasis on might do um, so please come along to those if you can and thank you to everyone that came to the shows in Barnsley uh, or Oxford over the weekend I've got a few more previews after this week in Northern Ireland uh, Darlington on the 19th, Cambridge Comedy Festival on the 22nd, Neath on the 23rd, Masham in Yorkshire on the 25th, and the Ballam Free Fringe on the 29th, which is free and in Ballam and is a fringe. Uh, it's basically everything it says on the tin. Um, and then also, I should say, uh, if you can't come to any of those, uh, this podcast is going to take a break after the 24th of July because, to be honest, I'm just not going to have the time while at the Edinburgh Fringe in August. Also, it's the summer, so nothing really happens, although it will be a summer Brexit negotiation, so who really knows? Um, and while I'm in Edinburgh, if I do manage to corner any politics types while in Scotland, I will endeavour to put out some one-off interviews over the summer, as I will have all my uh, kit with me, so we'll see what happens. Um, unless, of course, you know, something major happens, like the Trump beast thing, uh, in which case, then I'll just quit my solo show, leave Edinburgh, and follow it around until it's killed by the army. But it's likely we'll just have a break. Uh, on this week's show, there is a chat with my pal at the Fire Brigade Union, Lee Pickett, and I'm going to be looking at the few of the things that came up in the passing of the Queen's speech last week. And of course, as it stumbles every step, lurching headfirst towards smacking into a brick wall, I'll be talking about Brexit. But before any of that, let's start with a little bit of this. The only way someone would be more suitable for the job of Northern Ireland Secretary instead of James Brokenshire would be if there was a Conservative MP called David, oh God, why is this so hard? Or Susan, I just don't know what to do, it's such a mess. The deadline for a power-sharing agreement has once again passed, and once again, the DUP have blamed Sinn Féin, and Sinn Féin have blamed the DUP in the sort of exchange of words that shows you just why this is all so fucking tricky. Among the reasons as to why a Northern Irish power-sharing agreement couldn't be made include the DUP's opposition to a bill allowing same-sex marriage, which is weird because I thought they were unionists, and Sinn Féin wanting an Irish language act despite only 3.7 of the population speaking Gaelic. Though, to be fair, it's entirely likely the DUP's inability to agree to that is to do with it being called Gaelic and not Straitlick. Brokenshire told the UK Parliament that time is short, which is what he said back on March the 27th. You wonder if James Brokenshire has ever successfully got his kids to school on time, or if they're fully aware that if he tells them to hurry up, they can avoid getting ready for three months. If no agreement is made in the next few days, then it may go to Westminster to give authority for expenditure of Northern Irish government departments. At the moment, as there is no devolved government, there is no one to pass a budget, meaning that that may be up to Westminster too via an appropriations bill, which is kind of direct rule in all but a name. 
Things either need to be sorted out by the 12th of July when marching season begins, making political negotiations too hostile, or they'll have to wait until summer. Until then, Northern Ireland is essentially without a government. Which is weird, because our government in Westminster right now seems to have a very big chunk of theirs in it. Currently, on Media Mogul and Barely Animated Prune Rupert Murdoch's list of necessary takeovers, first up is the 21st Century Fox takeover of the 61% shareholding of Sky that it doesn't own. This is, of course, just beneath the power of the sun and full control of all Western governments. The decision of whether or not a man whose previous company was accused of hacking the phone of murder victims' families should be allowed full control over a mass international broadcaster was up to the culture secretary, Karen Bradley, a woman whose only experience of culture was probably a pub quiz question about yoghurt types. Ofcom, the communications regulator, stated that the Fox deal to take over Sky raised serious questions about the concentration of media power in Britain. It seems Karen Bradley interpreted one of those questions to be who can I fob this headache off to as she then passed the decision as to whether or not it could go ahead to the Competition and Markets Authority. A very clever move in that it means Bradley can continue getting confused at theatres while the Murdoch family can keep supporting the Conservatives as they've not yet done anything to block their takeover bid. Meanwhile, the Competition and Markets Authority now have the fun job of trying to work out whether they block the bid due to Fox's history of sexual harassment allegations, aggressive right-wing partisanship and horrific media monopoly or, you know, let it go because no one remembers the phone hacking anymore and really Skyfox sounds cool. A quick update on Grenfell. Uh, Housing Minister and roundest head in history, Sajid Javid, told the Commons that everyone who lost their home in the fire would get a temporary home within three weeks. And I assume he means somewhere to live until permanent accommodation can be found rather than temporary home like a caravan. He also said that there'll be no prosecutions of anyone illegally subletting flats at Grenfell Tower as they just need to know who was living there. Police say the final death toll now won't be known until the end of the year, which is extremely, extremely hard for families, especially Muslim families, who are meant to bury their dead within 24 hours. Javid also stated that 181 buildings have now had their cladding tested and all of them have been deemed unsafe. Javid's statement in the Commons comes after the resignation of the Kensington and Chelsea Council leader, Nicholas Padgett-Brown, who on Friday decided that he should step down after he shut down a council meeting once he discovered he couldn't stop the press from attending. Yes, nothing looks more honourable than not stepping down during a horrific fire you've almost certainly played some part in, but instead quitting after a hissy fit because he can't now have an unprejudiced meeting without the press. By unprejudiced meeting, he probably meant one where he discussed escape plans and how best to get a fake passport. The government also appointed a judge for the inquiry on Grenfell Tower and they chose former Court of Appeal Privy Council member Martin Moore Bick. Bick's history includes deporting a foreign robber despite his children living in the UK, deciding that kicking him out overrode the Human Rights Convention guaranteeing a right to family life, and he also ruled that Westminster Council could rehouse someone 50 miles away, a case that was later overruled by the Supreme Court because he'd not asked any questions aimed at assessing how practical it would be for the family to move out of the area. Yeah, so little regards for human rights, a lack of asking the right questions. Sounds perfect for the Grenfell case, right? I mean, the only person less appropriate would be an arsonist or Nicholas Padgett-Brown. Sir Martin Morbick has already said it's doubtful that the inquiry will be as wide-ranging as residents want it to be. Which is reassuring, eh? I mean, I'm concerned that it'll end in six years' time with a conviction for a faulty fridge and the land being cleared for a new luxury high-rise. Survivors of the fire have submitted 12 demands to the Prime Minister, including withdrawing Sir Martin Morbick from the inquiry, having a diverse expert panel sit alongside a more appropriate judge, and making sure the interim findings will be made public within four months. Hopefully, this will have some impact, and a meaningful inquiry can begin with Sir Martin less Bick. Without the emergency services, the UK would be a very sorry place. Not only would it be a den of crime and pointless deaths, but also no Fireman Sam, Line of Duty or Doctor Who. Despite how necessary they are, all sectors at the other end of a 999 call have come undercut since 2010. There are 19,000 fewer police than in 2010, there is a shortage of paramedic workers and the fire brigade has suffered more cuts than Ken Hom's chopping board. With the past year of awful events, it feels hard to know quite what it would take for the government to appreciate and fund them properly, bar say an attack from Godzilla. And even then, they'd probably just accuse critics of trying to politicise the situation before insisting on a travel ban for lizards. During the Grenfell Tower fire, it became even more evident just how important firefighters are. Yet, since 2010, 10,000 frontline jobs have been cut with stations, engines and equipment all being cut too. The fire service don't just deal with fires or cats up trees, but also floods, traffic collisions and much, much more. So unless the government's plan to save money is just to reduce the population via lack of disaster prevention, then their cuts to the fire brigade and the pay cap freeze really aren't useful when it comes to the safety of the public. It is a very sad world when the emergency services are now in need of saving. This week, I spoke to Lee Pickett. 
a liaison officer for the Fire Brigades Union and a serving firefighter for 21 years. I met Lee a while back when he organised some comedy gigs for the Fire Brigade Union to raise awareness of the cuts about four years ago, and I did some stand-up in front of a fire engine on the South Bank alongside Mark Thomas and Russell Brand, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and we've kept in contact since, and Lee has been an active campaigner against the reduction of the emergency services for several years now, and a very knowledgeable person on the subject. And in this chat, he was able to tell me all about how the cuts to the fire service need to be rapidly extinguished. So, here's Lee. Hi, Lee. Uh, thanks for sparing the time to speak to me today. Uh, before I ask you, uh, I've got a lot of questions for you, obviously, with, with news, as it has been the last few weeks. Uh, before all of that, um, I've, I've worked with you before. You've been banging on about uh, fire brigade cuts and the effect they've had and, and the pay rise cuts and everything. How do you feel this week now that the uh, Conservatives voted against lifting the, the pay rise uh, or pay cap, sorry, on uh, firefighters fees and on emergency service staff fees? How does that feel as a firefighter yourself? Hi, Tina. Thanks for having us. Um, well, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting week. Um, we'd we'd hoped that, um, with a, with a, with a new kind of a coalition government coming in that they would want to um, do the right thing and, and make decisions that were universally popular. Um, and, and in light of the terror attacks that happened in Manchester, um, and then the two terror attacks in London, and then subsequently the, uh, the the tragedy that happened at Grenfell Tower, it was an opportunity. We we all thought all public sectors, especially those especially those that are working in the uh, emergency services blue light area, that 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 would kind of force a change, force a difference of, of, of opinion. Um, if nothing more, that if it was not um, the the, uh, the public putting, it would seem like a crazy decision by a government, given the public sort of uh, the, the, the eyes of everyone watching what's going on with the emergency services for them to turn around and have uh, a, a vote, which was kind of, I'm not going to say they were in, they were sort of led into a corner, but the, 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 the Labour opposition obviously made a very valid point with an amendment to the Queen's speech, which encompassed and, um, and referred to all of the emergency services and public sector um, and forced them into, you know, into a public vote, uh, you know, live there in the House of Commons a couple of days ago. And I, th everyone thought, I mean, foolish perhaps, that it would be, uh, it couldn't be ignored. And when, you know, if, if it wasn't one thing to have the vote overturned, you know, and, and more, more in favour of, of keeping that cap in place, if that wasn't hard enough, the most difficult thing that we have had to sort of um, um, deal with is, is the cheers from those from those Tory MPs that that voted against it. It's really, really just terrible, terrible sort of a response to something so so prominent at the moment. And and me personally, as a firefighter, I haven't had. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. I have had a pay rise every year for the last seven years, but it's been one percent. It's been capped at one percent. Um, and for me and my family, rate of inflation has gone up. Everything costs more. The cost of living's higher. Um, and we've all heard that there's been plenty of journalist, journalist reports on, on how, in real terms, that affects us, me as a, as a, as a, as a firefighter and as, a, as a someone trying to look after my family. I have had, in real terms, as everyone says, a 14% pay cut in over you know over the over the seven years of this of this toy government which is it's hard it's really hard you're trying to support a family and and, um, and at the same time carry on doing the job the important jobs that we do in the public sector and it's really hard Mor morale is I've never known morale to be so low because of that subject of, of, of I've never known it I've I mean I've 21 years as a firefighter myself um, I've never known people to feel so undervalued. Um, and it's everywhere. I, I meet I meet pe people from the ambulance service regularly in the jobs that we do. They feel no different. They feel undervalued. Police officers they're in a really difficult position because they they've got this. They seem to be uh, oh, they're the ones that are protecting the state, if you know what I mean. But yet they're the ones that are also getting um, crapped on from an extremely high height. And it's we are really really sorry for them. So yeah, it's uh, it's hard, really hard to accept. I mean, it's it's also something you know, as, as a member of the public, which I am, so um, much I try hard not to be sometimes. But I am um, a member of the public. You know, you guys save lives, and I think that that's been even more evident than 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 normal in the past few weeks. Um, it, 
Is, do you think the government, this probably sounds like quite a silly question, but do you think they realise how valuable you are? Because I think part of me hearing that cheer especially, uh, you know, and I know there's issues with voting against uh, the Queen's speech, which I know they kind of get whipped up to not, you know, make sure it passes as it is, et cetera, et cetera. But the cheer made me think, have you not been around for the past year? <laughs> have you not seen what's actually happened? I know. It's, I, 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 there, are, there are members of that of that, um, of that of that government, that Conservative government, that have got a massive disliking to the fire service, despite what they may say in, uh, you know, when we have a tragedy that's all over the news and they're all very quick to come out and use it as an amplification of their position, praising us and, and telling us how wonderful we all are and what an incredible job we do. Yet, you know, in, in the next in the next instance, when they're, when they're, they're uh, when when it's something that that benefits us or supports us, they just I, I don't know. There's this massive dislike, and I know we have this huge um, uh, this confrontation with uh, the, the the fact that Tory Tory Tory, Tory governments historically do not like trade unions, and um, because the fire service has got such a strong national. Um, uh, jo- job, you know, it's a job-specific trade union. Um, this, there is always going to be that friction, and I, I, I believe that's where the root of the problem lies: is the trade union connection and the history of, of, of the friction between the fire brigade union and, and conservative government. How, how many are in the fire brigade union? Because I know, I know that it's, uh, as you said, it's very popular. And but are most firefighters signed up to it? Yeah, my, I, I would. I, I don't. I've, you know, I. I I guess there are uh, there are members of uh, the, the fire services up and down the country that have got alternative unions like um, CFOA, which is the Chief Fire Officers Office, Chief Fire Officers Association, and the Retained Firefighters Union as well. But generally, most firefighters are, and I believe the membership sits at around 46, 46 47 thousand members. Wow. Wow, that is a lot. And I, I mean, as I said earlier, it's something that I know that you have been very vocal about for quite some years now is all these uh, the cuts on the fire service. Um, I don't think a lot of people are aware the extent that you've had cuts to resources as well as to staff. Um, how much harder have these cuts made fighting fires? <clears throat> Do you know what? It's, uh, oh, it's, really, it's really difficult. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking at times because I know being on the ground and having those cuts directly affect me as well as being a, a union um, rep- representative and trying to amplify and, and, and get the messages out because we don't get media traction. You know, if it's just one of those, it's almost like a conspiracy that it's a state-run, state-run media service in this country. And if it's got anything to do with firefighters or fire brigades union, you don't publish it. It's one of those things. So our work's been really, really, hard to um to, to get out there and educate people let them know what's happening but it's it's fact since 2010 there's been a 20 uh, percent drop in entire workforce firefighters across the uk not just in london um and numerous fire stations closing and fire engines being decommissioned or moved you know to, to two pump stations go down to one pump stations and it gets lower and lower and lower and lower all the work we used to do with fire um, fire protection fire safety work um, that has had to take a massive massive hit because there aren't the um, operational firefighters that, that go out and do that. Most people think firefighters sit around on fire stations um, and they wait for that that that, that nine 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 call to me. But that's 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 just part of what we do. There is a huge obligation for us to go out and check properties. Now that used to happen a lot more before two thousand five when the Re- Regulatory Reform Act came in. We the, we were under the Fire Services Act nineteen seventy four, um, and that was that required us to go out and check fire certification, um, and it was the responsibility of the fire service to make sure that places were safe but when the regulatory reform act came out in 2005 it then put onus on a responsible person within an organization to carry out their own fire safety checks their own fire risk assessments and that has been one of the things that has that has kind of led to so many um uh, more fires happening because People, uh, people have cut corners. They haven't got that, the authority, like the fire service, you know, making sure they re- they reform, uh, so they they conform 
to a certification um and subsequently you know people people don't want to do it they don't want to spend the money getting it done or they don't want to um, do it themselves for whatever reason and it has led to um a lot a lot a drop in safety so cuts yeah huge so amounts i was going to uh, say that i know obviously we, we current investigations are happening into say grenfell but things like the cladding or flammable cladding is that stuff that would have been covered by a fire safety check do you know what it's, it's one of them it, people are builders and um architects builders and that they're responsible for knowing their own building regs and build and, and how things are uh you know what 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 is legal to use and what isn't legal to use when it comes to materials in building buildings uh, the fire services would um obviously um oversee in certain in certain aspects the the, the the fire protection and that means you know have you got the, the the right amount of fire exits in the right places for the for the amount of people in the building your fire alarm systems um smoke detection heat detection all of those kinds of things is what the, the fire fire safety officers are are involved with when it comes to the the actual construction of a building that comes down to the building constructor uh, following building regs and law building law um, but these things, you know, t- it, it doesn't doesn't take an, uh, an expert to work it out. If we had more fire safety officers and fire safety was kept within the fire service, because let's face it, it's what we do, it's what we know about, all of those kinds of things, it would be a safer, I believe it would be a safer um, uh, 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 a nation of uh, buildings being built for, for having more of a more of a, an emphasis around the fire services overseeing things like that. And because one of the stories uh, you told me when I saw you saw you very recently was uh, about the cuts to I think it was the tower. Is that the right term for it? Aerial um, platforms, yeah. Yeah, for aerial platforms, which you know, when when you explained it to me, it sounded like this is a really obvious thing you need in order to deal with, especially fires in tall buildings. Yeah, and I'll, it's give, I'll give you an like yeah. yeah, instance. It's, uh, in London, you've got um, I think in most metropolitan brigades, um, cities, um, large large cities, you have got a full time crew on those aerial platforms. Whether they're in the right places is another argument. Um, you know, fire authorities make these plans. These 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 um, uh, best best where is the, where are resources best put? Um, and when you thin them out, because there used to be a lot more of them, you then say right well. We used to have uh, an area of plants at this location, this location, this location. They're no longer there. So now we have one that's got to be somewhere in the middle so it can reach all of those things. But at those other places. But it's, that's, I mean, that's a crazy model because there's going to obviously be inevitable delays because they're a lot further away from 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 where they should be. So, and what you've got in all of the subsequent has happened in many, many other brigades all around the country in county brigades. You have got um, a jump crew, part-time crew model, which I'll quickly explain again. You have um, firefighters that uh, ride fire engines, fire appliances that are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, to, to respond to emergencies. The aerial platforms sit in that station they haven't got a full-time crew on them and if there is an incident elsewhere within the county you get an officer and a a driver jump off of one of the other frontline fire engines they take the special platform and they go with it yes it leaves one fire engine without a crew on it so anything happens now at that station it only responds with one fire engine because it hasn't got two but what happens is this this is the crazy crazy thing in most high-rise procedures, in most county brigades now, an aerial platform can't be ordered on immediately, initially, and that's because it hasn't got a crew. Let's face it, that is the reason it isn't ordered on immediately, is because it hasn't got a full-time crew on it. But what happens is that the first attendance officer in charge will decide and confirm it's a fire and an ALP or an aerial platform, an aerial ladder platform, is required. Now, it can't come from the station four minutes up the road, because both fire engines went to the original incident. So now we have to go to the next very scarcely placed aerial platform. And I know that it's sort of 30, 40 minutes travel time for some of them to get to an incident. And let's face it, 40 minutes after an incident has started, you can pretty much guarantee that when it gets there, it's it's ineffective, it's pointless, it might as well go home. 
That's ridiculous. I mean, because wasn't part of the, I mean, and I don't know what the, the case was with the rest of the country, but I remember when uh, Boris Johnson was mayor of London because for somehow we voted for that twice. I still don't know how that happened. But, you know, but I remember him cutting fires, uh, loads of uh, 10 fire stations in London, whatever. And his whole thing was, oh, because there's not as many fires now and response times are really good. I'm guessing, I mean, from the sounds of it, with, with things like that, not being able to get the aerial, um, you know, support, they, like, surely that's changed. It must have made response times worse do you know what it's uh fire deaths have increased you know this this whole spin of there aren't as many fires do you know what that is actually a fact because over the years we have been very proactive and we've had this concept of let's prevent rather than respond and as a subsequence i mean we have kind of reduced our own uh need for in terms of uh, in terms of numbers and 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 the resources, but that has to that has, there has to be a limit on what you reduce, because we have prevented more. But still, things happen. Still, fires happen. You still have uh, and you still have fire deaths. They have increased. They haven't gone down, and they have increased because the resources and the responses are slower. You know, um, I, I just read you something here. It was, it, was, it was written by the Fire Brigade Union Secretary in 1960. And it says, when all is said and done, at the end of it, firefighting comes down to this. What a small number of people will go, uh, sorry, that a small number of people will go into a darkened smoke log building, not knowing what they're going to meet, having faith in each other, prepared to risk their lives to save the lives of others. And in the long run, no matter what transformation we effect in the fire service, firefighting in its final stages remains just that we do not forget it that's what i mean you you know we still have to go in to those burning buildings we still have to go looking for people that are in need or you know that have dialed 999 it's you need the resources there and what's happened over the over the over the last seven years is you have had fire services become business models and not response models you know, I, I can recall so many incidents within my site fire service that I work in where it's been a big, big response, loads of resources required, loads of fire engines, loads of firefighters from everywhere have come to this one incident. And I tell you what, before 2010, you used to have an amount of cover left everywhere else. But now you've pulled all your resources into one incident and I, I, and I, I always think to myself that chief fire officers and fire authorities must sit there with everything crossed, fingers, legs, feet, toes, praying nothing else happens at the same time. Yeah, yeah, because if, I mean, if it, it's, did, it's, if it really... did, it would be disastrous. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing of sort of finding out since since Grenfell how many other tower blocks have got the same cladding, for example, and you you do think we could you could have had more than one of those go up at the same time, you know, due to accidents or whatever, and and God knows what would have happened if that mm. had been. I the mean, case. It, it, we have everything's concentrated around Grenfell and and for the right reasons, but. You know, I don't. I don't know uh, the, the the situation in London at that time. Over those ten hours, those first twenty-four hours, because of the amount of resources that were pulled into that incident, we we will never know what wasn't able, what what London Fire Brigade weren't able to attend as a result of all those resources being in one place. We'll never know whether other property fires, whether other whether other uh, floodings, whether other road traffic collisions, where the London Fire Brigade had no one to send. Well, we will never, never know them things, but this is what I'm saying. It's uh, the, the, this whole business model concept in, you know, let's face it, to save money doesn't work. Would you know what? It works for them, but it doesn't work for all of those people that need a response from a fire service in good time and well-resourced. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with Lee in a minute, but first a few necessary facts and bits of info after last week's Queen's speech passed in the comments. So... Facts and info, info and facts, hey there, what's a fact? It's something that's proved to be true, great, thanks for the info, no, 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 thanks to you, hey, 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 info and facts, facts and info, info and facts, facts and info, fanfo, in facts, woo. Two big stories emerged from the debates on the Queen's speech in the Commons last week. Sadly, neither of those were about Labour MP Stella Creasy getting her amendment passed so women from Northern Ireland no longer have to pay for abortions in Britain. An important amendment, and one that means Northern Irish women that need to make that journey now will only have to encounter the terrifying emotional stress of getting a return flight on Ryanair and nothing else. No, the two big stories were the rejection of the amendment to lift the public sector pay cap and the rejection of Chuka and Munna's amendment to ensure Britain stays in the single market. Pretty easy stuff, you know, I guess. Uh, I mean, the first one, obviously, the Tories are awful. Ugh. And the second one, Labour are a confused mess, right? Oh, this politics luck is easy, eh? Except there is more than meets the eye with both of these, unlike the film Now You See, which is exactly as shit a film about illusionists as the poster makes it look. The first one of these two stories, you know, the Conservative and DUP MPs voting against an amendment uh, to lift the public sector pay cap, that one is a bit how it looks, right? I mean, it is shitty of the government and the DUP to vote against the public sector pay cap, but it is also very unusual for the government to vote for amendments to the Queen's speech that they've just passed, which, again, makes Stella Creasy's amendment passing even more exceptional, but hey, you know, we we ignore that, it's not a story, right? Anyway, you know how it is, right, with the government... You spend ages scrapping your own manifesto, clawing together some sort of shit to reach the deadline, you finally get an old rich lady to read it out, and then suddenly someone wants to add bits to it. Oh, fuck that. I mean, this of course doesn't explain nor justify why the Conservatives couldn't just have had a change of heart to want to seem vaguely decent in the eyes of a public that currently has little regard for them, or why various Conservative and DUP MPs laughed when it was rejected. I mean, maybe, maybe, it's probably just instinct. You know, like how hyenas laugh before they kill something. But rejecting it as part of the Queen's speech doesn't mean it won't happen, with cabinet ministers currently saying the five-year freeze may be reconsidered and rumours suggest that it could even be part of the autumn budget. Pay rises for public sector workers are set by independent pay review bodies, and they're supposed to rise in line with inflation and living costs, but they were capped at 1% in 2013 and they haven't budged since. The teaching profession has since had its pay drop by £3 an hour and police officers by £2 an hour. That's in real terms, as it's quite hard to work them out in unreal terms. I mean, in unreal terms, it's something like a pay drop of 12 unicorns per Minotaur biscuit. That's how it works, right? Anyway, nurses' wages have stagnated for 10 years. Yes, some people in the private sector may have been hit worse by austerity, as crappy arguments by idiots go, but the government can actively change pay for public sector workers, many of whose jobs support or save lives. With morale dropping in many of these areas and recruitment of nurses, police and firefighters at a low, lifting the pay cap might actually help. The issue is the cost of lifting the pay cap. The Labour Party have said it would cost about £9 million, a figure backed by the Institute of Fiscal Studies and the Office of Budget Responsibility. To fund this would mean a tax rise from somewhere, as well as a higher national insurance contribution from somewhere. 
Labour were planning to fund this, had they got into government, by raising tax on those earning more than £80,000. You remember something all the papers kicked off about as apparently that would affect the ordinary person? You know, all those ordinary people like you and me that earn over 80 k in their lucrative shop floor or cleaning industry jobs. Either that, or to fund it would take some sort of rethink on how the government insists on paying off the deficit via austerity. Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, aka Tweedleass and Tweedletwat, have both stated that neither of these things need to be done, and that the cap can apparently just be lifted because they secretly overheard where the magic money tree is kept during the DUP negotiations. I mean, they are both experts, right? We know that by their record of not listening to anyone else and clearly achieving so highly in everything they do, like failing the entire country or being casually racist during diplomatic visits. So now, what this all means is the government are in the tricky position of either keeping the cap, which is less and less popular with the public, especially after the recent heroic efforts of the emergency services, or the government max a £6 billion tax rise from somewhere which also won't be popular. Or they admit that Labour have done all their calculations correctly, and really now, for the rest of us, the best thing to do is just grab some popcorn and watch as they find the best way to eat themselves like a giant rich sea cucumber. Now, the second story is Labour MP Chukramana's amendment to demand the government's guarantee that the UK will stay in the EU single market. Firstly, it's worth remembering that the Labour manifesto states, and I quote, Labour accepts the referendum result and a Labour government would put the national interest first. True, you could argue that the referendum result really isn't in the national interest, but hey, let's not climb down that tunnel of despair just now, as it's pretty much all I've been doing for the past year of podcasts. A few lines later, it states, We will scrap the Conservatives' Brexit white paper and replace it with fresh negotiating priorities that have a strong emphasis on retaining the benefits of the single market and the customs union. Now, I have no idea how you'd retain the benefits of the single market without being in the single market, but similarly, you can't Brexit fully unless you get out of the single market. Essentially, the single market is that partner you think that you want to leave because it's boring, but then once you go, you'll realise you'll never find anyone as good as them, but if you hadn't, you'd have never known how good or bad it would have been, but hey, it's bad and all your friends were right. But ignoring that, the Labour manifesto states that the party's stance is to not stay in the single market, and that means Omuna's amendment went against the manifesto and Corbyn's three-line whip to abstain on that vote. Yes, they could have done what the Conservatives did and just wiped their manifesto from all possible record, and therefore it wouldn't really matter what anyone did, but actually... What this means is that, as is parliamentary practice, all frontbenchers who voted for it and therefore went against the manifesto and the three-line whip, they would resign of their own accord or be sacked as their views are no longer in line with that of the leadership. It's pretty common practice in Parliament. In fact, on the Parliament.uk website, it states, defying a three-line whip is very serious and has occasionally resulted in the whip being withdrawn from an MP or Lord. This means the member is effectively expelled from their party but keeps their seat. God, imagine how awkward that would be, having to sit in a chair at a party you weren't invited to. Actually, to be fair, I think that sums up my entire year of being 15 years old. So why did the MBs that voted for it vote for it? Well, mostly because they represent largely Remain constituency, so not voting for it would mean going against the wishes of the people they represent, which wouldn't really look great for the next voting times. The bigger question, really, is why on earth did Amuna push the amendment forward, knowing that it would never pass against the Conservative majority, nor a large part of the Labour Party voting against it? Either it's to make a point to the government about what the interests of a certain amount of MPs and their constituents still is in regards to Brexit, though he's been in opposition long enough to know that they don't really give a shit, or it was to divide Amuna's party all over again. If the latter was his aim, Corbyn has now removed the hard remainers from his front bench, making Amuna's hope of staying in the single market even more unlikely. Essentially, he's just an idiot. Unlike Stella Creasy, who did really well, but everyone forgot because she did something actually clever that benefited people, which goes against the flavour of shoot yourself in the foot month, her tradition that started with the snap election. And are Corbyn and Labour a bunch of hard Brexit Euro haters? Well, their ambiguous Brexit stance more than probably helps them gain votes in the election. Shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer has said that Labour would pay for access to the single market, which I guess could be an EEC member type situation. So while paying to be part of something that we were already part of and previously playing less for seems stupid, I can't help but feel it's less stupid than telling everyone no deal is better than some sort of deal than sending in David Davis to keep asking where the toilet is in his worst primary school French. Ooh, a la toilette. And now, back to Lee. It, it shouldn't, you know, saving lives shouldn't be a business. That's a, it's a ridiculous view to have no, that, no. that saving people's lives should come down to cost rather than humanity. Um, it's it's because um, there's there's been I mean, some of the other areas that I've heard people speak about recently, but there were plans as well for firefighters to have to work until they were sixty. Is that still the case? 
<laughs> yeah, that was pushed through. That was forced upon us. Uh, I, I, again, I'm in that category. I, I joined in, in 1997, and uh, one of the reasons I joined was not only for it to be a career, but it had a, it had a pension scheme that, that I wanted to um, you know, buy into. And it, it, it would have seen me retired, uh, retiring at an, an appropriate age. I'm not going to say a young age. I would be 51 if I was retiring. And given the job we do and, and, and the, the, the physical nature that's, uh, that, 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 that the job entails, and, the, you know, it's punishing at times, um, it's one of those occupations that you cannot, uh, you know, there would be the upset, there would be the... Um, the what's the word the uh the, the the someone that can there's not many of us sorry you're gonna have to go uh <laughs> exception there'll be the exception <laughs> sorry um and you would have um perhaps they, they they spent life their lives in doing triathlons or something do you know what i mean um and there would be those exceptions where they could work up to, and do the job absolutely fine up to 60 but we are talking a very very slim minority um and it's you know it's yet to be seen because it's been imposed on us i had my original pension contract torn up and so just basically told there's your new one oh and by the way it's going to cost you more money each month and by the way you're going to work an extra nine years and at the end of it you're going to get less than you would have done when you retired before (laughs) how's that even possible it's surely um that's theft um, but you know we're, we're still the fire brigade union is still are still pursuing those uh, those legal challenges in in the in the high courts and um, you know time it takes time and we'll see what happens with that um, but it's but I think the most significant thing that's been that's kind of not been they've not wanted to have a public discussion about it or they just want it to go away the fire service employers and the DCLG at the time but the home office are now going to have to pick this up is the is the fitness levels of female firefighters um it was it was it was off quite often mentioned at the time of that pension dispute that females genetically get weaker um, sooner in there, in, in, in there as, as they age. Um, so you're actually, you know, people are saying male firefighters, 60 year old, can they do the job? Let's consider all of those girls, all of those women that are in the fire service as well, doing an incredible job that have also got to do until they're 60. You know, it's yet to be discovered because none of us have reached that age. None of this generation of firefighters that are being forced to work till 60 are at 60. Now, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now. Um, it, it, time will tell. 10 years, 15 years from now, all of us in my generation will be saying, we told you so. It is impossible to maintain that level of fitness. Not because we're not trying. It's because we're getting older. And it's this it's, it's fact. You, you know, you... you, you um, your, your strength and your, your conditioning just deteriorates as you age. So, yeah, that's a massive, massive, massive uh, problem, um, which, let's face it, the, uh, the, this, this current government aren't going to have to deal with it. You know, that's, that's a way, way, way down the line. That's somebody else's problem. So it's, all, it's almost like you've not really thought too far ahead, have you? It's all, it's all about the here and now and saving money and, and robbing people of their pensions. Because was there also, uh, and I might have got this wrong, but there were plans, weren't there, for the the police commissioner to control the fire service or for it to be kind of lumped under that same banner? Is that still happening? And and would that be a good or a bad idea? Because it sounds, again, like just kind of consolidating everything and therefore ignoring all you know various parts of it i i, I can i can I, I know that this is happening um in, in my brigade you've got uh, the pcc is going to be um in charge of my fire service um he has done something that has never been done before he has actually come down to fire stations to see firefighters and say this is me this is who i am this is what i'm going to be doing um, I just want, I want, to, I want to chat to you. I want to tell you what my ambitions are, what my plans are. And he's made, he's made it very clear that he doesn't want firefighters doing police officers' jobs, nor does he want police officers doing firefighters' jobs. He wants to amalgamate services um, and pull kind of IT resources, human resources, um, property sharing um, in, 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 a, in a bid to make those those cost savings. And you know, the way he described it to us, it was like fantastic. <laughs> it was just, you know, everyone was uh, f- 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 has felt something that they haven't felt for a long time, and that was optimism that things might 
might change because here's someone that's come down sitting at a table drinking a cup of tea with you saying like this is me this is what i want to do um which has been which has been you know not something that uh, that, that senior managers have uh, they've kind of i know there's been uh, union um, union disputes and friction and, and bad feeling calls over a long long periods of time which has led to this kind of split between management and 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 firefighters but um yeah, it's quite, it was quite refreshing. So, you know, he gets a decision. He gets the, the uh, he gets to replace the fire authority members. So, um, instead of having a large pool of, of fire authority sort of councillors sitting on a, on a, on a panel, um, he will ultimately be the one that decides what happens. So it'll kind of be one vote instead of instead of you know twenty odd. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic. You know, a lot of people have have, uh, have criticised the the PCC model, um, but hey, it can't get any worse, can it? <laughs> that's a it's a nice way of looking at it i mean i was going to say that that must be you know obviously you're lucky and you've got a good uh police commissioner in your area but that might not be the case everywhere that's that's that remains to be seen it's um i i think given given their agendas um and given that they have they've kind they've got an opportunity they've got an opportunity here to build bridges uh, and I think it would be very foolish and very naive of any police crime commissioner now coming in to oversee the running of a fire service to miss that opportunity. Um, you know, it, it could be it could be really really healthy, and I and I, and I keep my fingers crossed and, and pray that it is it is uh, a good thing and not a bad thing. Right. Last question for you is, I mean. Simply, I you know, uh, I know uh, that everyone should go and check out the Fire Brigade Union um, and find you on Twitter and your website and read all your updates. But what can people actively do to help support um, what I mean is arguably one of the, the most important jobs in the country? You know, I think what what can listeners do to give you guys a hand in, in what's been a really difficult last few years? It's, uh, it's a very very good question i'm glad you've asked it it's it's very difficult like i say you've um we are there for our communities that's fact bottom line you know we are there to protect the communities in which we which we work and serve however some communities don't engage with politics they don't know what's happening around them perhaps they don't news, read the newspapers they don't re- watch the news let's face it are they being told the right things anyway uh, there are alternative news sources that you can go to canary have you heard the canary very good i was uh, i've been um, watching that uh, over the last couple of weeks and that that news outlet is incredible so that's a recommendation from me um you have got the opportunity to engage communities now i've just had this in my local community the question was raised how can we help you somebody came to me and said how can we help you know we've heard about this uh, this 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 pay this whole shambles this disgusting act in in, in the commons with people voting against the re- uh, removal of your pay cut how can what can what can we do to help and i said look it's you, it's important that you engage in your local politics i know it might seem glum and boring but it's really important and it and and the way you do that is to um is to speak with your local fire stations. They've, they've all got a fire brigade union representative, and they would be all very, very welcoming of a um, of, of a of a conversation. So then it, it means you've got then got to take that conversation back to your community. So what I, I urge anyone that wants to get involved with this kind of politics, because let's face it, if you haven't got uh, if you sorry if you have got currently a fire engine that's local to you that could be losing an appliance or even worse, closing, you have to know that you can alter that politic, that political change, that political decision if you are organised. And the way you get organised is to create community groups and actively engage in local politics and find out what's happening. It would mean sort of engaging with fire stations or, or you know, taking that plunge into into local media uh, newspapers, look at the public notifications. But whenever you have a fire station closing or an appliance being taken away, you have a public meeting. Now, it isn't widely advertised because they don't want loads of people there going, that's not happening. So you have to make sure that when that those kinds of things are happening, believe in yourselves. And if you collectively organise yourselves and go to these meetings and say no to your local MPs, this is not happening. As a community, we will not accept this fire station closing or this fire station uh, fire engine being removed. And you can put so much pressure 
on those fire authorities and those MPs and those councillors that you can get those decisions uh, changed. I've seen it happen, but it needs people to get engaged. Now, that's all I can urge. Follow the fbu.org.uk website. You can go on to Twitter, which is the uh, Fire Brigades Union um, official. I think it's official Fire Brigades Union. Um, you'll see it's, it's got the blue tick on there. Or myself, Lee Pickett, L-E-I-G-H underscore P-I-C-K-E-T-T. I'll always, they will always be tweeting out information that you can engage with, whether it be petitions, um, marches, demonstrations, or links to your local MP that, you know, they quite often put up on their Twitter and, and webpage. Templated letters already written for you. All you have to do is download them or digi digitally fill in your name, fill in your address, click a little box which says, what's your postcode? You put that in, it gives you your MP, click a button, boom, they've had a letter sent to them. I mean, it, they've made it so easy for you to, to be part of the fight. We all want a fully functional fire service, local and resourced and crude and turning out in a timely response. Because, let's you know, not people that dial 999 in an emergency are desperate. You know, the, 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 that, that, those three buttons aren't pressed unless something is really, really needed and time is of the essence. Fire kills and we have to be there to, 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 to um, you know, smoke kills, I beg your pardon, smoke will kill you before the fire will. Um, so, yeah, get, in, get, get engaged, get, get, get active and get organised and, and form these community groups. Um, that's all I can suggest. Great suggestions, man. Thank you very much. That was brilliant. That was really informative, really useful. Um, cool. yeah. smoke, smoke alarms. If you've got them, test them weekly. If you haven't got them, get one. Uh, your fire services as well. I will add, if you contact your local fire service, it's probably the one thing that hasn't been touched That Sorry, I will add this to you. And then you can, um, community fire safety budgets are quite healthy because there's the prevention thing that they want to prevent fires from happening in the first place. If you can't afford a smoke alarm or, you can't, or you're not able to install one, contact your local fire service. And I'm pretty sure 100% of them come out offer you a free advice in your home about your own personal model at home with fire safety and fire evacuation plans, and they install smoke detectors for free. If they don't install them for free, they will come and do the visit for free, and they will probably charge you whatever, £7 for a smoke detector. I don't know. It's a, it's a small price to pay for, for something that is your earliest sign of something being seriously wrong in your house for you and giving you time to get out. Sorry, I ran. No, 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 don't be sorry. Do you know, as as a firefighter, do you still uh, do you still get annoyed when toast sets off your fire alarm? Uh, <laughs> to the middle of football. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, uh, do you know what people? We we will always turn out to things like the most random or the most uh, annoying things. But hey. People are very apologetic. They know what they've done. <laughs> yeah, they, get, they get a small smack on the wrist, and uh, and we're away. No, we never, we never, uh, we don't mind. We don't, we don't. We engage with the community. It's nice to be out. Big thanks to Lee for chatting with me. Um, he became a parent again just a day after our interview. So mega congrats to him. And I'm very, very chuffed that he had the time for our chat before that alarm went off and he was called to duty. Uh, he can be found on Twitter at Lee. That's L-E-I-G-H underscore Pickett, P-I-C-K-E-T-T. And the Fire Brigade Union is at FBU National and their website is fbu.org.uk. Do support your local branch if you can. Next week, I'll hopefully have an interview with a political commentator in Northern Ireland as I'm going to be there all week. But after that, as always, if there's anyone you'd like me to talk to uh, or any subject you'd like me to find someone to talk to about, do let me know. You can do that at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Group on Facebook, partlypoliticalbroadcast.gmail.com or, you know, pay a pilot to skywrite it across the horizon from their plane. Though, judging by the weather so far, no one would notice it in amongst the summer ruining clouds anyway and birds can't read. So, you know, I'd probably stick with email if I was you. Damien Green told the bright blue think tank this week that Conservatives must change hard to appeal to young voters. So for this week's question of the week, I asked you, the listeners, for recommendations of what they can do. At Princess of VP says, change in phone boxes, change by spinning around in a quiet corner where no one is looking, anything, just change. At JL Searle 89 says, join the Labour Party. Uh, that definitely would appeal to younger voters, uh, as it seems to have done already. Uh, at Gibby McDibby said, stop fucking the country up to sort out internal party views. 
actually sensible advice. Um, at Benson, Mike sent two. Uh, they sent uh, stop reading the Daily Mail and uh, then a picture of uh, a hand with don't be cunty written on it. And uh, they said that could be a mandatory tattoo that comes with party membership, perhaps. Um, at Cantus says, uh, hire Mr. Tumble. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Uh, if uh, Mr. Tumble just repeatedly announced really important Brexit decisions while falling over his own face. Actually, I think that would symbolise it pretty much as well as David Davis already does. Um, at MPC 1968 said, uh, resigning would be a good start. Absolutely fair. At Ed Sun says they could provide strong and stable leadership in the national interest. To be fair, they've tried that and it hasn't really worked so far. Uh, at Rainy 101 says, put an air pump up. Boris's ass and use him as a bouncy castle. I, does he need an air pump? I mean, I reckon he could carry at least six children without much effort already. At Mini Mayor says change their name to the Fast Antorius. Uh, at Richard Edwards suggests euthanasia. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily appeals to young voters or old ones. Uh, Rub Skeen says I thought they already attracted youngsters. That's why May lost that paedophile dossier. Oh, can you feel that? It's a burn. Andy Zoidberg Walker said how about a disco? Paul Jenkins says they need a catchy, slightly pointless slogan like the phone companies. How about this one? Be more Mog. Ah, yes, that will definitely encourage the youth. I mean, to be fair, Jacob Rees-Mogg definitely seems like a villain for most of the Lemony Snicket books, and they're meant to be for children, so maybe it would work. James Ross uh, has sent a few. He said uh, PMQs to be done in the style of a rap battle. Uh, Rees-Mogg double-breasted suits to actually have two breasts on them. I mean, that would just, that would really creep me out. Uh, Creepy habit of calling Theresa May mummy to be reinforced with her wrapped in bandages like an actual mummy. Uh, Maybe get Tom Cruise to do some sort of publicity appearances with her. Uh, And Rees-Mogg to be the next Doctor Who, which, to be fair, is difficult because Doctor Who travels back and forth in time, unlike Rees-Mogg, who's constantly trapped in the past. Matt Kinson says, make Parliament like Big Brother and they'll have to stay locked in. No cameras or anything, we just get on with shit. Chris Purchase Green says, free pogs. Yes, that definitely would appeal to the youth of the 1990s. Uh, Tatton Spiller says, uh, not sure what they should do, but here's a leaked picture of Philip Hammond getting ready for the Commons today. Uh, and he sent me a picture of Will Ferrell getting his braids done for a film poster. And Brendan Hope says, free fidget spinners. I mean, at least it would keep them awake during PMQs. Brilliant. Excellent work, you lot. Another question will be out next week. Check the Twitter at Bro or the Facebook Partly Political Broadcast Group for the question on a Sunday and then send over your answers. Brexit A very sparse Brexit fallout this week with special attention paid to David Davis, the Brexit secretary and definitive proof that humanity is not the most intelligent species. This week, David Davis said the elements of his job negotiating Brexit made landing on the moon look simple. Part of that might be, David, that actually, unlike your Brexit negotiations, landing on the moon was all about furthering humanity and opening its borders. But the main reason to pay attention to David Davis this week is that according to his former chief of staff, James Chapman, Theresa May has made the Brexit secretary's job much more difficult, with her insistence that the UK will also leave the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. The issue with this is that the EU want the ECJ to have ultimate authority when it comes to disputes about money or rights of EU citizens in the UK. In theory, this could mean that ECJ could be involved in the British legal order for up to 100 years, as it would be representative of any EU citizen babies living in Britain now, because, hey, it's nice to be optimistic about how long we've actually all got before Trump nukes everyone. So May wants out altogether from the ECJ and the EU wants to protect the ECJ's supervisory role over EU law and really the only way to get past this and to get the Brexit ball rolling more is with an independent tribunal but that would require both sides to agree with neither getting what they want. Though to be fair if anyone has experience of having to deal with not getting what they want it is Theresa May. Meanwhile, the EU Budget Commissioner has warned that Brexit is going to leave them with a budget shortfall of 10 billion euros, which means they either have to get new money in or start cutting money elsewhere. Or, you know, just get a big bus with 10 billion on it and that should fix everything, right guys? Right? I mean, we know it from proof, eh? Ambassadors from larger EU states are currently looking into the possibilities of the UK not actually leaving the EU after all, which, let's be fair, after the last few years, everything is possible. The recent Servation survey, one of the only ones accurate during the snap election, suggests 54% of people would now vote Remain, with 46% of people being absolutely over the moon that we're currently the world's worst performing economy, all the doctors and nurses are leaving and we can't have any fruit. By over the moon, I mean, like David Davis, completely misunderstanding what it takes to land on it, ignoring all information and shooting past it like an accidental Apollo 13, with no idea how to use the gravity of the situation to take them back to where they were before. This week, have a guess. Can you guess who this week is it that's leaving the UK because of Brexit? 
because of Brexit. Well, again, not so much leaving as um, dying. And that's right, it could be... Everyone in the UK, as health economics consultants have said, Brexit would push the UK to the back of pharmaceutical companies' priorities, so we'd probably get life-saving drugs a lot later and more sparingly than the EU, US or Japan. Hooray! At least we won't have to live through the consequences of Brexit for long. This is, of course, only if we leave the European Medicines Agency, which we probably will, as it has the word European in it, and that makes Brexiteers sad. I do wonder if we just renamed everything to be like the New European Union or Blue European, we'd probably not have Brexited at all. It's like landing on the moon, right? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Thanks again for listening with your side head holes. And don't forget to sponsor the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or ko-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro for one-off payments. And if you can't afford to do that, there's no pressure, really. I want this show to be free. Um, if you can't, please do give the show a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean or one of the Amazon reviews of Michael Gove's Celsius 7-7 book so it can sit alongside someone calling it the nastiest book I've read in years or utter tripe. Thanks, as always, to Acast for hosting the show and to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all the musics. I'm going to be back next week where there's every chance Trump will have visited the UK silently at night, only to then blame the news for not reporting it. Bye! This week's show was brought to you by the number one, which is the percentage public sector pay freezes capped at, and also the percentage of people who avoid tax, and therefore should really get told to go fuck themselves whenever they call the emergency services. Fire Brigade, can you come round? There's a fire in my mansion. Sorry, sir, we've checked your address, and I'm afraid your nearest branch is in the Cayman Islands. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.